Luke 9, 1 through 2. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. John 4, 10 and then 13 and 14. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we are, we are weak and needy people. And we need you. And we need your work. We need your work of power in our lives. God, we ask you this morning to open up this message, open up these scriptures God, I ask you to take the thoughts from your word that I believe you've given me and I ask you to, to just powerfully minister them into our hearts and lives this morning. God, I pray that the truths that we talk about this morning would be accompanied by your very own power. I pray that the truths that we talk about this morning would go deep into our hearts. I pray, God, that you would transform us that you would make us different people. God, that you would help us to grow up in every way possible into the fullness of Christ that you have intended for us to walk in and live in. So Lord, we look to you this morning. We place our confidence in you, God, to be that you are here, that you are here at work, that you are here in the power of your Spirit and that you will accomplish all that you want to accomplish this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I was moved very deeply recently uh, by a short phrase from Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And that phrase is, Jesus gave them power. He called the twelve together and gave them power. And if you stop and think about it, this is an amazing thing. Jesus had power. He gave it to them. And now they had it. And they were able to do something they couldn't do before. Because... Jesus gave them power. He gave it to all of them. Without this power, they could not carry out what Jesus just asked them to do. It takes power to cure disease and heal. It takes power to preach. And there's a lot more in that verse, I know. But what God just impressed on my heart is that 
short phrase, Jesus gave them power. We must never forget this basic truth that Jesus Christ has power. He has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And he is willing to impart it to us. He is willing to give it to us for what we need. When Jesus has something for us to do, he gives us the power to do it. It's a real thing. And it changes what we are able to do. Christianity is a religion of power. We are born again by the power of God. We are kept, Peter says, we are kept by the power of God. We serve God in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the future, we will be resurrected in power. From beginning to end, from the new birth to the resurrection, the power of God is involved in you and in me and in our Christian life. And this power is something that we are to know and to experience. It is to make a difference in how we live and, and in what we are able to do. It's, it's an enabling power. It's an equipping power. During the 18th century, a great move of God took place called the Great Awakening. And God gave power to various men to preach and thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands were drawn to Christ during the Great Awakening. If you read the stories of it, Wesley, Whitfield, others, they would, they'd go out and speak in a field or on the edge of town or on a hill and 10, 15, 20, some estimates of 30,000 people would just flock to hear the gospel. And people all over the place were, were falling down in, re, in repentance and in turning to Jesus and, and being saved. John Wesley and George Whitfield were two of the more well-known men of God used in this moment, but there were many, many, many others. I'm reading a biography right now of a man named William Grimshaw, who was also a part of this great move of God. John Wesley said, referring to William Grimshaw, he said, a few such men as him would make the nation tremble. He carries fire wherever he goes. I don't know about you, but I love that. He carries fire wherever he goes. Wesley meant... By that he meant he carries the power of God wherever he goes. What a testimony. When Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica, the people said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That takes the power of God. It's only the power of God that can make that kind of impact on a, on a city, on a region. Often, I feel my need for this power. Often I feel my great need for this power. And in some measure, I have known 
Christ's power. As you have. But I want to know it more. And the more that I have known it, the more I never want to do anything without it. You know, and, and there's, there, there have been a few times uh, where I've especially, you know, just, just felt the power of Christ upon me and working and speaking. And I just said, Jesus, never let me do anything again without your power. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book uh, called No Little People, and in that book there's an essay called The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way, and I, I wish I could print it out and give it to everybody here. It's an incredibly powerful essay. But in that essay, he quoted an old hymn, and the final, the final phrase of this old hymn, well, the name of the hymn is is tongues of fire. And the final phrase of this old hymn is, O crucified and risen Lord, give tongues of fire to preach thy word. O crucified and risen Lord, give tongues of fire to preach thy word. And Schaefer said, we need that because the world is hard. And confronting the world without God's power is an overwhelming prospect. And that, that's why we need the power of God. Now, on the one hand, I am fully convinced from the Scripture that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead does dwell in me and in you and in all who belong to Christ. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 that the eyes of our heart would be opened so that we may know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That prayer implies, well, it more than implies, it strongly implies that there is power there in us. It implies that there is power there, but that prayer also implies that we need to know this power in our experience, we need to see it. I mean, that's why he says that God would open our eyes because it's, it's there, there's a power there, but he says, you guys need your eyes open. We all need our eyes open so we can see it. We need a spirit of revelation and knowledge so, so that we know this mighty power at work in us. Later on in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prayed that according to the riches of God's glory, you know, stop and think about that. When you, start, when you pray for something to happen according to the riches of God's glory, you're making a big request, right? Okay, there's a lot of riches in God's glory, all right? Paul prayed, according to the riches of God's glory, you would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being. That prayer implies our need for an increase in power or, or an ongoing replenishing of the inward strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, that's why he's praying, praying that for us, that we, would, that we would be strengthened because he, he knows that we, that we need a replenishing of that strength or that power through, through as it says, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, when we get away from, and I think it's very easy to get away from this, when we get away from, especially in our culture, with our mindset, our, you know, our rationalism, our materialism, when we get away from believing in and expecting this kind of mighty energy to be at work in us, our spiritual lives are in danger. Paul said, in the last days, people will have a form of godliness, but will deny its power. And you know what he says next? Have nothing to do with such people. Pretty bold. I mean, there were some other things he was talking about too, but that's, that's a part of that verse. In other words, he, he, he doesn't want us to be, in a sense, drugged down or contaminated by, by, by people who, who don't acknowledge the, the reality of, of the Spirit and the reality of, of God's power and God's divine energy at work in us. So let, let, it, let us never be a church that, have kind of, that has a form of religion, a form of church, a form of godliness, but, but effectively deny the power of it. In 1958, David Wilkerson saw a picture in Life magazine of seven teenage gang members who were on trial for murder in New York City. And during a gang fight, during a gang fight, these seven teenagers had beaten a young man to death. But David Wilkerson was moved with compassion for these gang members, and he was drawn to New York City to go there and preach to them. He was, David Wilkerson was young, he was skinny and awkward, he didn't know the lingo of the street gangs, there was nothing about him that would suggest that he could relate to or reach the gangs of New York City, except the call of God and the power of God. So, believing that he was moved upon by God, he went to New York City and he walked into the courtroom where these gang members were being tried. And he impulsively rushed the bench and asked the judge for permission to say something to these gang members. Of course, he was immediately thrown out of court. But a reporter from the New York Daily News took a picture of David Wilkerson, this skinny, young guy with this huge black Bible, and that picture of David Wilkerson went all over the city. And he became known as the Bible preacher who interrupted the gang trial. Well, out of that experience, David Wilkerson began a ministry to the drug addicts and the gang members on the streets of New York City. And a leader of one of the gangs, one of those gangs called the Mau Maus, was Nicky Cruz. And he was profoundly converted to Christ. And the story of 
that encounter and that story of that conversion became a book called The Cross and the Switchblade. And it's still regarded today as one of the uh, most influ influential Christian books of the last, whatever, 100 years or something. I've, I've seen it on numerous lists of, of books that every Christian should read. It sold over 15 million copies. It was a bestseller. David Wilkerson went on to preach the gospel to teens in New York and in cities all over the country, held crusades. I mean, when I, I read his biography, and he, I mean, he just went everywhere. I can't believe how he'd go from town to town to town to town uh, doing crusades night after night after night, proclaiming the gospel to teenagers. And many, many thousands came to Christ. He started, of course, Teen Challenge uh, with ministries in over 100 countries around the world, uh, presenting Christ as the hope for teens struggling with drugs and alcohol. He was a whirlwind of activity uh, for God. Of course, he's, he's dead, he's gone, he's gone to heaven to be with the Lord. His son, Gary, wrote a biography about him in which I pulled all this information from. I, I, I read it not too long ago. And when I got done with this biography, I was, I was deeply stirred. And I was deeply stirred not by so much how great David Wilkerson was at all, but by the power of God to move an ordinary person to do great things for the kingdom. And when I read the biographies of men, men like Wesley, Whitfield, A.B. Simpson, Hudson Taylor, uh, George Mueller, I see something compelling these men from the inside out. And we see it, we see it so clearly in the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus always doing his Father's will. Uh, always being about his Father's business. Always doing what he sees the Father doing. Always speaking what he hears the Father speaking. I mean, there's, he, he lived his life in the power of the Spirit. We see it in the Apostle Paul. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, this about Paul he said can you not see it he is like a volcano there is a power a fire within him moving him energizing him carrying him along irresistibly in the performance of his great and high calling but Paul would be the first to stand up here and tell us that this was not his doing but it was the power of Christ in him he said in Colossians, we, yes, we, we proclaim Christ and we, we, so that we may present every person complete or perfect in Christ. And he said, to this end I strenuously contend. But he said, I do it with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Paul said, I work, yes, I, yeah, I, I work hard. But it, it comes from this mighty energy of Christ at work in me. 
Now, I'm not suggesting that we are to copy what any of these men did or that we can copy what they did. I'm not suggesting that Christ's power is only seen in some great public work. I don't think that at all. I think Christ's power is mightily seen in many, many small deeds and words and actions that go on in homes and families and neighborhoods and individual meetings with one another. But we must know something of the power of God. We must know something of the power of God pulsating within us. And based on the word of God, we can know and experience this power of Christ in us. And I am not talking about power for ministry only, although I I think that's really important. I think it's really important that we seek power to be able to be effective in other people's lives. But I'm not talking about power for ministry only. Our entire experience as a Christian is built on the reality that an external power from outside of us has come into us and is now at work in us. Paul said, work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation because it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty pretty amazing thing. I mean, just think of the wonder of that. It is God himself who is at work in you. God himself actively producing in you both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. And so Paul says, respond, respond to this work of God, this activity of God and work and work in obedience to his working in you. And that's how, that's how we work out our salvation. This work of God inside us is hard to put into words but we all know something of it in our own experience if we belong to Christ if we don't know anything of it at all then there 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 may be a a problem that we really do not have this new life but we all know something something of this inward working of God in our lives in our own experience if we belong to Christ and again I'm going to quote Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones about this he said It is the difference between life and a machine. The machine, you have to wind up and it goes for a certain length of time, but it stops. But this is life, and it is life within, a power that is operating within. There is an impulse within, a call, an urging, a longing is created 
and you are aware of a working within you, it is God who is at work in you. The same inward working of God is described in a little different way in Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Okay. So Jesus told her, he said, if you only knew the gift God has for you, if you only knew, <laughs> if you only knew the gift God has for you, if you only knew who was speaking to you, then you would ask me and I would give you living water. This woman was going through her, her normal routine of life. She had come out of the, of the city or town to, uh, to draw water at this well. Just, just going through everyday life. And she did not know that God had a gift for her. She did not know that Jesus the Messiah was right there in front of her. She did not know that a powerful, life-giving, thirst-quenching gift from God was available to her. And of course, the gift of God is Jesus. And, and everything we need for salvation and life and everything that God has for us comes to us through Jesus. But she didn't know that. I think the reason so many Christians don't, don't really think going to Jesus is the answer for their needs is exactly the same reason this woman at the well did not ask Jesus for living water. We don't know the gift of God. We don't know the gift that God has for us. We have so little comprehension of what is available to us in Jesus. We have so little comprehension of who is right there beside us speaking to us. So we do not really expect much from Him. And so we do not ask Him for living water, for power, for life, for rest, for joy, for everything that we need, for strength. But Jesus says to us, if you only knew the gift of God, if you only knew what is available to you in me, you would ask me and I would give it to you. You would ask me and I would give it to you and it would change everything. Jesus went on to say to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The new King James Version translates this. The water that I will give him will become 
a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. And here's how this ties in with the original thing that I started out with, that Jesus gave them power or that Jesus can give you power. This living water, I believe, is a, a, just an, another word picture of this power <laughs> that Jesus gives us. The water that Jesus gives us is living it's bubbling up. It's springing up. It's, there's a force to it. It's irrepressible. It just, it just keeps coming. And just when you think there can't be more, there is more. There is always more. Do you believe that? Jesus said that is what it is like for my life to be in you, for, for me to come and live in you, for my life to be in you, it's like a fountain of water springing up continually, forever, to everlasting life. The Christian life is not primarily about getting us to do the right thing and say the right thing. Of course it is that, but it's not primarily about just doing and saying the right thing. The thing that makes us new people is that we have this well of water within us springing up to eternal life. In another place, uh, Jesus said, the one who believes in me will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. That's a, that's That's power. That's, that's, that's the power of God. It's the power of the new life. We, we live for God. And I, I am, I mean, I want to live for God. And I, I know you do too. We, we want to be a people who live for God. But we live for God because we have life from God in us. And, and that's, that's the basis. And that's why... That's why we can serve him today and, and tomorrow and, and clear until we see his face and not grow weary because there's something living within us. We're not just grinding this out. There is, there is living water within us. Well, how do we, how do we experience uh, this living water? How do we experience the, just the power of the Holy Spirit in us uh, more fully. I'm going to share four things with you, but first I'm going to say this. There is, there is no formula. I mean, there is no formula. There is mystery. I mean, when you, talk, when you talk about God himself through the Holy Spirit living in us, there's something wonderful about that. There's something that you can't put into words. It's, 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 an, it's an amazing, amazing thing. You know, we talked a little bit about this at our men's meeting. Yes, I think Brian brought it up. I mean, just how, you know, it's, it's wonderful to have relationships with each other as, as human beings. We need that. It's incredibly important. But there is a hunger within us, a need within us for a relationship 
far beyond that, a relationship with God. There's, there's, a, there's a hunger within us to know God and to know His, His, His activity and His working and His speaking within us. So, you know, we, we walk with God, we love God, we trust God, and He moves and works and uses us. We don't always know how, but He does. But here are some things that I think would be helpful. First, ask God to open your eyes to his mighty power at work within you. That's, that's basically what Paul does for, for the church in Ephesians. Ask God to open your eyes to see. To, for, ask God to give you a, a spirit of revelation and knowledge of just how great his power is at work in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead the Bible says is at work in you. I personally, personally believe that the, the great, greatest spiritual problem in many of us is that we are unacquainted with this inward work of God in our soul. In our men's group a few weeks ago in the book of John, we came across a verse that says, we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. And the point of that, or at least the point that I draw from that, I'll say, is that we can hear that God loves us, but we have to come to the place where we know and believe it. We have come to know, to know experientially, and to believe the love God has for us. Well, in the same way, we must also come to know and to believe the fountain of living water springing up within us that Jesus promised us. We must come to know and to believe the mighty power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. And if we don't know it, or we don't know it very substantially, we need to pray what Paul prayed. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, so that we may know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Second, desire, desire to know the power of Christ and to live in that. Desire is so important. What we desire really sets the direction of our, of our lives. Desire drives what we ask for and seek for. Therefore, desire drives what we find because we find what we seek for and ask for. Jesus offers living water to those who thirst. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Desire is so important. Once Paul knew Christ, or when he came to know Christ, he wanted to know him more. And he wanted to know the power of his resurrection more. And I was thinking about Paul's uh, episode with the thorn in the flesh. And I was thinking about it from a little different angle this, this last week in that... Um, 
I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of things that people talk about from that story. But the thing that seemed like God was showing me that maybe one of the most important things in it is that, that Paul's episode with, the, episode with the thorn in the flesh shows how great his desire was to know Christ's power. Because when Paul suffered from his thorn, whatever it was, and it really doesn't matter, Jesus said to Paul, my power is perfected or, or gonna most manifested or most evident when you are weak or under pressure or in pain. And so Paul said, Lord, if that's the case, then I will boast gladly of my weaknesses. Why did he say that he would boast gladly about his weaknesses? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I don't, I don't know about you, I'd, I'd love to have the power of Jesus rest upon me, wouldn't you? And so Paul wanted that so much that, that, when, that when Jesus explained that, well, at least sometimes the, the means or the avenue through which Christ's power most fully rests upon us is through our weakness or distress. Paul said, okay, if that's, if that's the way it works, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even boast about my weaknesses. And it, it, it shows how, how much he prized and desired to have the power of Christ rest upon him. And I, and I, I think the more that we, that we experience and, and know Christ and the more that we know something of his power in our lives and working upon us, that we, that we would say the same thing. We'd say the same thing. I, I would even gladly boast in my weakness just so that the power of Jesus would rest upon me. Third, simply trust in the reality of Christ's power. I think there's, an, there's, an, there's an element where, where, we, where God says it and we believe it and that settles it. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's not something that we can see. We often do not feel it, but we can always rely on it. We, we trust that it is there. We, we venture on it. We, we step out believing that it is there. Regardless of how we feel, we trust the objective reality that Christ lives in us through his spirit. We affirm that and we confess boldly that Jesus Christ lives in us and that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead also is at work in us. And we do that because the Bible tells us that. We affirm that we have a well or a fountain of water springing up within us to eternal life. Jesus said, if you ask for that, I will give it to you. Often in the mornings, I, I'll say something like this. This is certainly not word for word, but uh, just God, uh, I entrust myself to you today. 
I, I totally entrust myself. I just cast myself totally upon the working of your spirit within me. I, just, I entrust myself to your power which mightily works within me. I entrust myself to your life, to the life of Christ within me to sustain me and uphold me and guide me and enable me to live for you today. I place no confidence in my own strength, but I trust in your power. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's pretty easy for me to place no confidence in my own strength because I don't feel like I have any. And so it's just like sometimes you feel so weak. It's just like, Lord, of course I don't trust in my, I don't know what, I don't, don't have, I don't have, have that. I feel such great need for you. And so I just, I, I, I entrust myself to your power and your life to, to raise me up this morning, this day, to sustain me, to carry me, to help me live for you, to do all the things that I'm supposed to do today, to obey you, to please you, to, to meet the needs of other people, to speak where I'm supposed to speak and all of that. A.B. Simpson put it this way, we give ourselves to him and he takes us. We bring an empty hand and he fills it. We are the capacity. He is the supply. We are the temple. He occupies it. We are the channel. He flows through it. Let us receive him into every pore and fiber of our being. Let every cord and member be a channel for his indwelling and in working. And then fourth and last, just make a daily choice to draw from the power of Christ. Choose Choose to live out from this living water within you. I, Paul, in, in Galatians, I mean, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. It's kind of all the same thing. It's diff- different ways of putting it. But choose to live out from the Spirit, not from the flesh, in other words. Choose to live out from this living water, not, not from the deadness of your old man, your old self. You know, I, can't, I don't quite understand it, but I've, in, in my own experience, myself and in others, I know it's possible to be a Christian and live out of your own thoughts and feelings, your old patterns and, of reacting to people and circumstances. Paul told the Corinthians, when, when you are jealous of each other and when you quarrel with each other he says are you not acting like mere men that's first corinthians 3 3 i love that are you not acting like mere men paul's point is that as believers we are never to act like mere men why because we have living water within us we have the gift of god we have Jesus Christ living in us. So before you speak, ask yourself, am I, am I drawing from the well of living water or am I, am I just speaking out from my own self? Watch what is going on in your heart and thoughts and choose to draw upon the power of Christ. Well, in conclusion, I, I, 
just very simply want to say, and I want you to, to remember this, that the Christ, the Christ that we serve, the Christ that we know, is a Christ of power. And he gives power to us, just, just like he gave to his disciples. He gives power to us. He gives power to those who love him, to those who believe in him. And I want us all, I want us all to know that better, more and more. All right, let's pray. Let's stand and pray.